Fallon Forum, where we bring you independent voices and mostly civil dialogue across the political divide. I'm Ed Fallon, your host, and we're coming to you from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. If you like what we do, folks, we could sure use your support. Visit the donations page on the Fallon Forum website, become a monthly donor, or if you're a small business or a nonprofit doing good work, consider becoming a sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's Des Moines' locally owned and specialty grocery store. Gateway's Cafe open for dine-in, carry-out, delivery service, seven days a week. Gateway also has an excellent produce selection, and you can check out their catering and floral services as well. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Uh, thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis, adamantly and actively supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Owner Mark Klipsham knows we have to build better health for people and the planet, and the services he provides are committed to that goal. That's Architecture by Synthesis. Joining me today, Charles Goldman. Hey, Charles, how's it going? Yeah, pretty good, Ed. All right, so um, we have both had the pleasure of watching John Oliver in action on his, uh, his program about carbon offsets. And some of the, um, well, certainly some of the big corporations that have gone hog wild on greenwashing aren't going to like that mm-hmm. perspective. But, you know, also some of the, um, some of the national nonprofit industrial complex climate orgs aren't going to like it either. What's your take? I mean, maybe, you know, we haven't talked about this, Charles. Maybe mm-hmm. you thought Oliver was off base and that carbon offsets are a great thing. No, I mean, I think the point he made is that it's more virtue signaling than really anything of value. I mean, we've talked about before that most most of carbon mitigation that isn't going to be uh, technologies that will never work, such as carbon sequestration. Right. Talked about that last week. Yeah. Um involve somehow increasing the number of trees on the planet. Um, But we're at the point now, because of the extensiveness of the emissions that these trees are going to have to offset, um, you essentially have to take almost all the arable land on Earth and put trees on it. Yeah, Um, Well, trees or grass or wetland. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to grow a, a, a bunch of food except if it grew on trees. Right. Well, unless there were yeah. apple trees. Row crops. Ro- apple row crops, trees, yeah. Row crops trees. wouldn't work very well if you're going to plant enough trees to mitigate the amount of uh, right. emissions we're creating at this point. And it just gets worse, of course, because there's just more people. Um, you know, it's it's worse in his – I mean, his, his – yeah, we all know that, that – that, well, maybe most of us know, maybe enough of us know that, that saying that I'm going to offset my – huge carbon footprint, whether it's my individual airplane flight or my corporate, uh, you know, my corporate uh, excess. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of that problem by planting a bunch of trees. You know, that's, that's, that's questionable enough by itself. But what, what Oliver revealed was that some of these so-called tree planting projects are trees that were already planted or were going to be planted anyhow. Right, and they were paying yeah. people not to cut <laughs> them down. Yeah, they were paying people not to cut them <laughs> and, down. And depending on, you know, which program we're talking about, it, some of these programs were only going to, you know, pay people not to come down for a year. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, I, you know, my, my, my fee- when I was listening to the, the, to the piece, I was thinking two things. First of all, we could have done this in a way that was – more transparent and could have been regulated, uh, and that would have been obviously carbon taxes, which would have had to show actual trading. Well, you're talking about carbon tax or or or, or um, well, carbon credits, you know. But the okay, whole yeah, well, carbon tax is one thing. Well, but it would it would have been part essentially the same thing. Cap and trade, be, is yeah, different. cap and trade. It would yeah. be a cap and trade, and That's that correct. that to yeah. me is ridiculous. And you're right. That is that is another form of carbon offsets and. And to my, my opinion, another form of greenwashing. Well, but at least it, it's a bit more uh, regulated, which this isn't. But really well, what's going on here, this is more importantly what's going on here, which is that this is just another way of people not facing the fact that personal consumption and you know national consumption have to be reduced. You can't just keep saying we're going to you know, change up the technology and this way, we will never have to live any way differently than we live now. And, and it, I, I think that's what people want. I mean, they, you know, look at, look at the issue of the, of the offsets that you pay for when you buy your tickets for a plane, right? Right. So the real question is, is, is it this necessary for us to be traveling 
on planes to the degree we do. See what happened as soon as you know people were shut into their houses or had to stay home. Now, of course, they're having you know record flight right. numbers. So because people have to have leisure travel because they missed it for two years. But you know, it's also a function of a lifestyle in which you are separated from your family by great distances oftentimes. So people right. say, well, I got to travel on Thanksgiving, I got to travel. Well, maybe there's something wrong with this culture that we have to travel to do those and things. And I agree with you. And how do we fix that? How do we, my, here's my situation. I have family and, I mean, close family, kids, mother, closest cousins. You know, they, they are, let's see, 1,300, 1,500, 1,800, and 4,000 miles away. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, I, I'd love to. I'd love to fix that problem. But I'm part of it. I moved from, I moved from, uh, you know, where I grew up, you know, 1,300 miles west. Yeah, but I mean, how do we fix that? Well, I don't know. If there's any going back on that. But I think that, again, more Zoom calls. Well, a Zoom I, Christmas. I, I, I think you know that's one area where technology may one day make it possible that you don't have to travel these distances and you could you know with. Holiday Isn't it effort. already possible? Well, it is already possible, but it, you know, it's still a primitive technology. There's I mean, no place like Zoom for yeah. the holidays. No, I mean, it's, it's, again, I still think it's a relatively primitive technology compared to what would make people feel like they were interacting in, in a meaningful way. You can almost smell that turkey. <laughs> Says I to the vegan. Right. So, um, no, I mean, I just, I, I just think it, this is what's going on. I mean, this whole question about sequestration of, of, uh, uh, the emissions from creating ethanol. Right. The fundamental question here is what's the point of ethanol? <laughs> you know, and not should we just continue to make more of it and try to force people to consume more of it because it's good for the, you know, certain states in this country. Well, the that, argument, you know, of course, is that it's, it's, a, it's a more environmentally and carbon and, and climate friendly than, than oil. Well, and, and that's that's a hard case to make given a lot of the research. Well, also given how much energy goes into the production well, yeah, part of the research, it, yeah. and the reduction in mileage of the cars that use. But it's it. a hard argument to it's a hard thing to push back against in a state like Iowa, no. or, or Minnesota, South Dakota, North Dakota. Right, I, un I understand. States. I understand that. But that's that's the answer to everything. We can't do this because it would hurt the economy. Yeah, you know, and we'll get we'll get you know another segment on the show to talk about you know this issue about electric cars. Yeah. You know, and how are we going to integrate them? Uh, so what about you? You mentioned uh, the, you mentioned one favorable thing about the cap and trade proposal is that it would have been a regulated market. Now, as Oliver pointed out in his carbon offsets piece, uh, there are there are entities have formed to provide some kind of regulation to carbon offsets. So if a corporation, you know, comes up with this scheme, mm -hmm. uh and somebody wants to double check it, they can go to this independent entity that that analyzes whether or not that is indeed a legitimate carbon offset. Unfortunately, some of those entities are either set up by or have close ties to some of the corporations that want to see uh, them say that, oh, yeah, you're doing great stuff. Right. The, in fact, in yeah. fact, Oliver, at the end of the program, sets up his own regulatory agency Plants a forest, a pseudo forest. Right. Send me money, or I'm gonna kill this tree. <laughs> yeah, money, <laughs> no, I thought that was tree. brilliant. <laughs> the, the tree gets. Send me it. money, or I won't kill this tree for the next five minutes. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, the, yeah. the tree. Yeah, the tree's gonna get it. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, that's that's absolutely right. The all for the monitoring entities are taking money from their, whom they're monitoring now. That's one of the arguments, for instance, that uh, you could make against the FDA. The FDA sure, yeah. is is also taking money that sure. funds their work. We well, can make that argument against many different government agencies that are supposed to be watchdogs, but there's a revolving door that makes sure they'll never. Well, that's a different issue. That's yeah, a different sure, issue sure. when you have the revolving door in terms of the regulators can go right to work for the, those they regulated without even, even stopping on the way sure. out the door. Yeah, but um, yeah, no, I mean, I think it. it all of this is about um, the unwillingness to accept. It, it's sort of like the inflation thing. You know, I, I understand that, you know, there are absolute necessities. But, for instance, when gas prices went up, you do have an option. Many people do have that option. Not drive? Not drive or drive less. Well, yeah, that's, 
I'm not. That's not how, necessarily true in rural areas where you, you have great distances how do you, to go. You, but. Live, you live six, seven miles from the hospital where you go to perform surgery. How do you? How do you get there without a car? I could bike there as long as it's not the winter. You know. So in the I've winter, done, I've, you know, in the winter your there. patients die. Otherwise, you no. Can get, no, I mean, uh, but but that's the point. You, I'm you, playing you, devil's advocate. You here. make choices. People can make choices. You know, food's ten percent more. Well, that's unfortunate, um, but. If, particularly for those who have the resources to be able to make choices, because obviously there's plenty of people who are mm. not able to do that, to do that mm. because they don't really have the resources even before inflation. Right. But, you know, so food's 10% more. This isn't a country that couldn't afford to, you know, eat less calories per person. Um, so I, I, I think everything is like we don't want to ever have to in this country live in a way that was less than the people before us, you know. Right. Are you better off than your than, than your children? Generation? Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. But but you know, I mean, the food thing. There there are definitely people who are food insecure. I'm not talking about way. people who are food insecure. That's correct. That's correct. And you know, and it does make it harder for them. But there's plenty of people in this country who are not. And you know, the people who were doing the most whining were not the people who were food insecure. I mean, they were. It was being brought to us that it just made them more food insecure because it was right. harder to. You know, to uh, distribute food that had been donated, it was getting more expensive for those entities mm-hmm. to get food. Mm-hmm. That's legitimate, you know. But everything is about. I don't want to have to do anything different than I'm presently doing. I don't want to be inconvenienced. I don't want to drive my car less. You know, I don't want to have to accommodate that food may be more expensive. Is that an American problem, or is it a unique, or is it a broader human problem? I mean, it, it, well, I, mean, I I would assume it. it, it Certainly, it's an American problem, um, and and it is one of the reasons why we are where we are politically in the United States, where there is no notion of that this is somehow a um, communal enterprise that we're involved. So with. when Kennedy said, "Asked not what you what you, your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country," that uh, yeah, know, and that, that maxim doesn't apply anymore. No, I don't think so. I mean, yeah. well, look look at the reaction, for instance, to the loan program thing. I mean, student loan student forgiveness, loan, right, the student loan forgiveness. So there's a bunch of people who are saying, well, I paid off my loan. Mm -hmm. Why should they get something I don't get? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm glad you paid your loan off, okay? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I did the same. And so so how does it hurt you if somebody else gets this slight advantage they were given? So uh, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead was really kind of unfair to all the people who already died. Yeah, they just pick Lazarus, <laughs> Lazarus out. That's correct. Yes. No, I mean, I, I, I just think that this is what carbon offsets. This is, you know, he didn't, Oliver wasn't, you know, harping on this point. But it is, it is about making yourself feel better, even though nothing substantive is coming of it. Right. And uh, there's really no decline in emissions. Right. Because, and, <laughs> again, Take a take less flights, you know. Sometimes use Zoom. Uh, I, this this just maybe a lot keep, of options. Maybe keep your house at yeah sixty at seventy but you instead see, of seventy five. The last life. the last person who was willing to say that to the American people, Jimmy Carter. was Jimmy Carter. Yeah, and he was a one term president. Well, but, but a lot of what happened to him was not just about that was the that, sweater. That was, it was I, not just I, about I, the sweaters. I, I ran counter deal. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. So. Uh, well, it wasn't about the Iran Contra deal. It was about it was it was about purportedly Reagan's deal with the Iranians, with the hostages. But sure. um, you know, it it it's just people just don't want to hear this, you know, and they're not sophisticated to understand why there's inflation, why these issues are not controllable necessarily from inside the United States. And um, they just don't want to deal with it. And I think that it's the same thing. They don't want to be told. I mean, if I hear one more story about people's delays and everything else, I'm sorry. Delays that but air, it doesn't airports. really, it, it, yeah, delays when, in, when they're traveling. Mm. I really wish they would stop showing those stories. It isn't the biggest problem in the United States right now. No. You know, and. We, we, we talk about all the biggest problems in the U.S. Well, we try to, but, yeah. you know, but it, it, it it keeps people believing that they should never be inconvenienced. Yeah. And that's kind of what, you know, the carbon offset yeah, and is I, about. And to my earlier question to you, I think that is really 
uh, I think to some extent human beings don't want to change. We, we, we tend to be, we like things to stay the way they are. Um, but I think Americans in particular are, are very much uh, opposed to even the mo most mild inconveniences. We, we've come to be uh, very privileged, very expectant of, um, of our needs being met immediately and thoroughly. <laughs> Well, it's interesting because I'm actually uh, later this week talking to a group about the psychedelics and, and their potential therapeutic uses. Based on your experience with them? Based on studying them. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, and what's interesting is that, you know, some element of this also may be related to the fact that we as a country are getting older. Um, and your brain does change. Your brain does become more inflexible as you get older. It's and it it's it. I'm not saying this is an ageist way. It's just fact, and also because as you move along, you you your brain wants to work more quickly by using shortcuts, mm. and when you use those shortcuts, you don't have the expansive thinking. So in point of fact, as you age, you become more vulnerable anyway to change. But you also, brain wise, probably have much more trouble dealing with change, mm. because you're just not as synthetic and you know expansive in your thinking as you get older. That is an interesting angle. We're going to have to leave it at that. Again, carbon offsets, don't recommend them, folks. At least I don't. No, I, no. I think that, that they would appropriately take into task. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Charles Goldman here with me, Ed Fallon, and we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, investment firms buying up farmland and houses. Mm, probably not a good thing. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. You're responsible for a lot, and it's easy to become overwhelmed, to feel helpless, even hopeless. What's not so easy is finding your way back to feeling and functioning better. Psychiatrist Dr. David Drake helps individuals and couples throughout Iowa with the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling. Dr. Drake also prescribes medication when needed, and his services are offered on a self-pay basis. If you need help, don't delay. Contact Dr. Drake at daviddrakefamilypsychiatry.com. Vibes Kitchen and Bar in downtown Des Moines at the corner of 13th and Walnut serves clever, creative, modern interpretations of American classic bites and drinks. The Vibes team offers great food and customer service in a relaxed and welcoming atmosphere. Vibes is the perfect place for your party or function, and it's got an outdoor patio ideal for hobnobbing with friends and co-workers or for watching your favorite sports team. Learn more at Vibes Kitchen and Bar's Facebook page. Hey, welcome back to the uh, Fallon Forum. You know, at a time when big corporations control most of the media, our niche is more important than ever. So please support what we do. Go to the Fallon Forum website, donate, even better, become a monthly sponsor. And speaking of sponsors, uh, thanks to Vibes Kitchen and Bar, serving creative interpretations of American classic food and drink, a relaxed and welcoming atmosphere, and an awesome outdoor patio. That's what they've got. Vibes is the perfect place for parties and for watching your favorite sports team. Learn more at Vibes Facebook page. All right, so Charles, um, you know, we see it happening, farmland being bought up. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly Bill Gates has, uh, has uh, garnered his share of it. He's not the only one. You, um, you've been digging into this issue a bit in between surgeries. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I, I thought this would be good, too, because, you know, since you certainly have farming experience. Uh, yes. Some in this country, some in Ireland. Right. And um, it, it, actually, when I started digging into this, there may well be less there than I thought, although um, it, in doing the research, I, I mean, I learned some things that I was quite surprised at. I mean, um, so Bill Gates basically is now the largest private owner 
of farmland in, in the country. It has about 270,000 acres. 270,000. Right. Gosh. And um, the estimate is that there's about 900 million acres of farmland in the United States. I mean, some of it is forest, but it's still, you know, it's qualifying as farmland. Right. Um, and yet the majority of farms are still held by small and medium-sized farmers. And that, um, in spite of our, you know, it, it, it kind of what got me into this is, is that it was presented in, in this journal I was reading as very conspiratorial, like, what's he doing with all this land? Right. Um, what is he doing with all this land? Well, he, you know, it's really a bit unclear. Um, he uh, bought it through this entity called Agritech, which is part of their foundation, you know, uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Mm-hmm. I guess they haven't dissolved that in spite of the divorce. <laughs> and um, no one's really clear, and he's kind of being pretty cagey about what he's going to do with this Well, land. that would make one suspicious, wouldn't well, it? Well, yes, of course. The, we live in this conspiratorial age, and so of course it does. Where, where is this farmland located? All over. The, he's, I think it's like in 20 different states. Iowa? I think Iowa's one of them, but it's not the biggest but, holding. But I think his biggest single holding is up in, in, in Christy Nome country, or maybe it's in North Dakota. Maybe it's North Dakota. Um, you know, and, and his ability to buy this land at, in places where there are actually, you know, um, like trigger laws <laughs> that keep you from being able to, you know, uh, scoop up a whole bunch of farmland if you're not going to farm it. Um, he was able, like, in North Dakota to yeah. get around that. And How, how do you get Because there are states that, uh, that have pretty strong anti-corporate farm That's laws. Exactly, and that was one of the states. And I, I somehow he got designated a farmer in a way that he just scooted he, around. He put it. on a pair of overalls and grabbed a pitchfork <laughs> and suddenly he was I in? I guess. Okay. But, I'm, you know, a lot of the local farmers were extremely angry at the state government for having I, I don't blame them. I mean, no. why would you want somebody owning all the land around you? Right. Well, <laughs> and, and the problem, of course, is that the, the activity such as this is driving up prices of, you know, farmland. And so, other farmers who have much more modest stakes who might want to procure more land for themselves now, I mean, for instance, the, the price of farmland in yeah, an can, acre in Iowa is over $20,000. Yeah, how do you compete with Bill Gates? Right. Well, yeah. Gates is not the only one, and Bezos sure. owns a bunch. And but but you know the majority of farmland is still held by non-corporate entities. Right. But some of the a lot of those farms are really large farms now. Um, and overall, you've seen the number of active farmers in the U.S. has declined every decade until recently. Right. And the uptick is because of small, I mean, small operations that where people are selling, you know, in many cases selling farm to local markets. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, so I mean, sure. this is this is a situation where, um, you know, again, everyone's everyone's for the free market. Well, first of all, the interesting thing is that the free market doesn't pay farmers. The average <laughs> profit, no, the average profit for a, a a farm in the United States is less than seventy thousand dollars, and that's easily cut into by changes in costs. Yeah. So if it now costs you more to acquire land because an investor. Or the alternative alternative investment fund, the, the ETF that people want, yeah. is coming in and buying up all this land. So it's you know harder for them to acquire land. They can't change the fact that fertilizer is going up, and some of the other costs are going up. Right. And so that's cutting into this seventy thousand dollars. They wouldn't be able to make a living if it wasn't for crop subsidies. Right, crop, crop subsidies crop uh, evidently um, represent at least forty between forty and fifty percent of the income of yeah. American farmers. Wow. Um, so, and, and then of course, I mean, you know, you have this issue of, of farm, of subsidies that are given to people who may or may not be farmers. Like, like, for like, land sen- like land Senator Chuck Rassel. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, so, he suffers when, he, he has what he told us, when he should take those crop subsidies because he suffers when other farmers suffer. And when <laughs> Kathy and I heard when he was suffering a couple of years ago, we felt sorry for that, that, that fellow. We brought him a basket of, of, of produce from our garden. Oh, is that right? Uh, down to his office at the in downtown Des Moines, and it was very politely received by a staff person who assured us that uh, Grassley would never see it; that we end up at a homeless shelter. So, well, at least you know it went to good uh, use. At least he was honest with us. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you know, this is this is getting back to the issue of the mysterious inflation. These are the kinds of things that benefit few, mm-hmm. but um, hurt many. And a similar situation with these investment firms. I mean, I, I suspect everybody 
who owns a house in Des Moines has gotten multiple solicitations for people who want to buy their house. Right? Really? Yeah. It's I mean, that, it's, it's really common. It's that bad. It's really, it's really bad. See, I, I miss these things as a renter. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I rent too, but I still get these things, oh. you know, because they get addressed to the person who owns the house. And, um, you know, they're basically all like three or four investment firms that are doing this. But, of course, they come across as though they're like, you know, small mom and pop operations. that. And, and here the same thing is happening where during, you know, during COVID and, and coming out of COVID, the uh, fact that people couldn't be evicted and money that was supposed to go to the billions that was supposed to go to the landlords. And most, most rental housing is also owned by small operators who have, you know, maybe less than a dozen properties, you know. And so they didn't have a lot of reserve to be able to wait three years for the money. Because, of course, all that money went with PPP. Mm-hmm. As we now know, uh, it was somewhat akin to what happened in Iraq. These billions just vaporized into thin air. Yeah. So, you know, huh. the, the small landlords want out. And, you know, people were being, uh, being offered cash on their houses. And so what happens is these landlords come in, these investment firms come in, they improve the properties, and then they double or triple the rents. Um, and Now, in some states, there, there is rent control. But that is, there are some cities that some have cities, rent right, control. Right, yeah. That's correct. Um, but those aren't the places they go. They go to uh, where it's an unregulated environment yeah. where they can sim- And what's becoming extremely uh, popular is to go and buy houses to rent. And that's driving prices up um, and taking, well, it's driving the price because the money they bring in, it's an investment firm, so they can pay a premium for these houses. So it drives the prices up on other houses oh, every, you know, in the else, same neighborhood. The area, yeah. But the other thing, of course, that's really, you know, an untaught, not talked about thing. I mean, when you watch the ads for Verbo or or Airbnb, those are houses that are also taken out of the market. And, you know, um, so you have a situation where because it's, it's starting to squeeze the supply of houses and at the same time rents are becoming, you know, are, are just steadily going up in many places because of these acquisitions. So, I mean, you know, this is, these are somewhat unintended consequences, but, um, it, it the the weird thing is is that when we hear about inflation, what do we hear about? Food and the gas, gas prices. Yeah. Those are the Tampons. two things over and over and over again. Right. Or you hear about something that's now fifteen percent higher that maybe you'll buy once. Hmm. Like you go to Costco and buy the big thing of toilet paper. You know. <laughs> so but the reality is is that housing is another basic yeah. need. And, um, you know, the rising price of housing, the rising price of, uh, prices of farmland advantages very few people. So, so, so the connecting theme here is that, the, that whether it's Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or some other big land acquisition company or an investment firm that's buying up houses, uh, they're, they're basically operating in, a, in an unregulated market, or in the case of North Dakota, Bill Gates is finding ways around what, I guess, weren't were strong enough regulations on, on corporate or, or out-of-state ownership of farmland. Uh, and, and one impact that's having is, is making it more expensive for everybody else. You, you can't afford to buy farmland because you can't compete with Bill Gates. Right. You can't afford to buy this house because uh, an investment firm has already uh, laid claim to it. And you also can't afford to pay rent in the house next door to the, the, the house that didn't get bought by the investment firm because the, 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 the houses that that investment firm bought uh, are all charging, the, the, the rental units are all paying much higher prices. So your landlord, in order to stay comparable, is going to up, up the rent as well. Yeah, and also because many of them haven't been paid for quite a while because of the, they couldn't evict anybody. Oh. You know, so... So, you know, the, the, this, this gets back to kind of the theme in the first part, which is that, yeah, it was really great that your house went up 30% in the year. I'm not saying your house per se, but, well, yeah, you know. We, we don't have one. You know so. something? You know something? <laughs> That's not so great. I mean, I lived in California for, uh, you know, over a decade. I'm sorry. And, no, I mean, there's a lot of things about California, uh, about California that are great. 
But one of the things that's not great about California is that you can't, you know, the people who provide the basic services in many of the big cities there can't live in the same city because the, can't afford you. they can't afford yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that is the, that's one of the things that creates a situation where because you can't live in that city, you can't take advantage of mass transit, you're driving your car, maybe if in one of the rare parts of the country there's some sort of train system that yeah. allows you to commute, you can well, do that. It, it, calls, it calls out one of the, the, the big glaring problems with the capitalist system. And again, I, uh, you know, I prefer to refer to, ideally, uh, a, a free market system that I think would, would work fine providing it was well-regulated, providing there were antitrust provisions, providing there was a mechanism for preventing monopolies, or in the case of farmland, preventing you know, one rich guy from owning 270,000 acres that he doesn't really farm. You know? Well, or at the very least, don't subsidize it by yeah. giving him subsidies on some of that property. Yeah, I'm assuming that he he cash rents it out to some local farmer, mm-hmm. um, and you know, and if that farmer is getting you know crop insurance for corn or beans or wheat, whatever they're growing, he's benefiting from that as well. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, and the other thing is, this gets back to your your question of of the basic selfishness that we see all around all the time, which is that. Um, every somebody always ends up getting holding the bag at some point. Mm-hmm. Every boom in every part of our economy busts at some point. Right, and, and it shouldn't. It, it, that, that that to me says there's something wrong with that economic model. Right. Yeah. Well, the economic model is that when you when you put a small percentage of the population have them awash in cash, you know, through quantitative easing or whatever the Federal Reserve <laughs> called it, basically, which was propping up the stock market. That was market. after 2008. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, well, it continued, yeah. Yeah, it continued. Yeah, it continued. They called it something else. But basically, it was buying up bonds and stocks to make sure that this, that didn't crash. Um, someone always gets up, ends up holding on now to the house that was never worth 40% more than it was the year before. Mm-hmm. I mean, the house is a depreciating asset. Sure. Everything in it gets older. Yeah, just like us. out of date. That's right. <laughs> Yet it just goes up and up and up. And so, yeah, it's great for the person who makes that 40% until they have to go look for a house themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're absolutely right. This is, this is what is, this is why people look back and say, wow, things were much better under Trump. <laughs> no, seriously, because yeah. that's, that's what it seemed like, but it was unsustainable. They that, just don't see that. That's why you voted for Trump. Well, we know I didn't vote for that. <laughs> I'm teasing you. Nobody ever, no New Yorker votes. No New Yorker votes no for New Trump. No New Yorker who lived anywhere anyway, close to that family voted for Trump. And I did. I grew up not far from where he grew up. You, 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 you grew up near Trump Tower? No. Oh. His, the, the family home in, in Queens. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So, no, but I, I think that, that you know, we sh- why we never hear about this on the news? Why? It, it, not to... Not to you know make a case against capitalism necessarily, but give us the, you know give people the facts, make them understand why the prices at the supermarket are a bit higher. Yeah. Well, I would think you know back, back to Bill Gates and Farmland. I, I would think that there should be a consensus of people across the political spectrum that would agree that this is wrong, and that you shouldn't have. I mean, whatever it's a foreign car, foreign you know foreign ownership, uh, big corporations. Uh, Individuals who are just buying up farmland like this, that, 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 that shouldn't happen. Farmland should be owned by people living in the area and farming it, or with some connection to the community. I would think that we could rally around that and, and make some changes that would prevent that from happening. Well, I, I think the other thing would be that would that not be a boon for these small rural communities you would think it would be. that yeah. are being also hollowed out? Yeah. You know, for and, and, and are a source of a lot of the discontent mm-hmm. with the way things are done in this country right now. Um, you know, and I, I, don't know how, I don't know how to feel about the fact that so much of their income comes from subsidies. Yeah. Because a lot of, I understand why the subsidies are there, but by the same token, this is also a group that oftentimes is talking about everybody else's entitlements. Is this not an entitlement? I don't know. I mean, you, you. Well, it, it is, but food is a food is an exception, and it's it's very, it's essential. We all need it, and uh, ideally three times a day. And you know, it, it, there are so many things that are that affect whether or not you're going to get a good crop. Right. And so there has to be some way of stabilizing, the uh, the, the 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 foundation of agriculture. I don't think we're doing a very good job of it now. Uh, clearly, a lot of big 
you know, a lot of super wealthy, wealthy individuals are getting subsidies they don't need and don't deserve. But um, something needs to be in place. Well, it also favors foods that, you know, have completely ruined the American diet. Yeah, well, yeah, it's true. Hey, or that aren't even a part of the American diet. I mean, what, 50-plus percent of our corn crop in Iowa goes to ethanol. Right. The biggest chunk of the rest of it goes to feed for livestock. Mm -hmm. And then corn, high fructose corn syrup, which I believe is your favorite food, right? Every day. (laughs) Every day. Two (laughs) tablespoons, whether you need it or not. Hey, uh, Ed Fallon with Charles Goldman here, folks. we got to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about California's ban on gas-powered vehicles. Is that going to last? Is it going to go away? We'll talk about that when we come back on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Fallon and Charles Goldwyn with you folks. You can support this alternative to the Shock Jocks by becoming a monthly donor or a business sponsor. Uh, check out the Fallon Forum website for details. Thanks to Westrom Optometry located in Des Moines East Village. Uh, Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. Thanks also to psychiatrist Dr. David Drake. If you live in Iowa, wherever you live in Iowa, Dr. Drake can help through the convenience and privacy of televideo counseling offered on a self-pay basis. Contact DavidDrakeFamilyPsychiatry.com. All right, so Charles, uh, California passing a very uh, ambitious uh, statute relevant to the phasing out of gas-powered vehicles by, I believe, 2035. Correct. So it, this is huge. Yeah, and this is this is about as you know. I suspect many of your listeners know, uh, California for a long period of time has um, had a waiver under the Clean Air Act, under I believe Section 177 of the Clean Air Act, that allows uh, California to set higher standards for emissions than the rest of the country. And, and how did they get that waiver? Well, they lobbied for it at the time of the passing of the Clean Air Act. If okay. you think about it, that was a time when the Clean Air Act passed that California, you know, L.A.'s air was green. Right. You know, so they had extreme issues, whereas other cities were not in any right. And they uh, were like that. And so they've always had this waiver since that time. And what subsequently happened is that 17 other states signed on to through state laws and then uh, you know formulating their own regulations that are based on them um, to basically saying they want the cars sold in their state to have the same emission standards. So what that created was a, a system where you know the car manufacturers had to make essentially two different cars. Right. Um, and finally they pretty much got tired of doing that and they <laughs> said, well we're just going to make, in de facto, the California standards, for right. the most part, and again, will be Ca- what we comply California is basically the what, seventh largest economy in the world? Something along that line, maybe even the third. But it's, really? it's yeah, it, 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 it is very substantial. But you throw another bunch of states in there and you've got a huge it, it, market. Right. The, the, what's called the CARB states, C-A-R-B, um, represent, with California, 40% of the new cars that are sold in the United States. But the important thing to realize here 
is that the number of used cars sold in the United States is three times the number of new cars sold annually. So that you also have to deal with, to some degree, with used cars. But um, so California, uh, under Gavin Newsom's urging, uh, their air quality board came up with a plan that they're going to uh, submit to the um, EPA for them to sign off. And the, the major details are that they will not allow the sale of any gas-powered light-duty passenger car or truck, SUV, in California after the first day of 2035. Um, other things that were part of this were that all EVs have to come with a charging cord. I didn't know you had to, that was extra. Maybe the other windshield wiper is also extra. Um, you know, you have to have an adapter that fits most public charging um, stations. Evidently, Tesla is going to come with a universal adapter with their uh, next year's cars. So uh, they're, they're not just creating charging stations for Tesla correct, vehicles. Correct, correct. Um, so Jeff Bezos had an altruistic moment? Well, uh, no. I mean, you're thinking Elon Musk. So no, no. Elon Musk rather had an altruistic moment. Well, sure, moment. because, I mean, they want to sell about 20 million EVs over the next 10 years. Okay. So um, it, it, it seemed to work to their advantage to have their own unique charging stations. but Yeah, but they're, they're getting so many subsidies from the federal government to build charging stations. They're not right. going to just build them for Teslas. Well, good for them. Um, used vehicles have to come with um, a battery health. Uh, you know, statement so that people know how long the battery's going to last because that's the most expensive part of a uh, EV. Um, the battery has to hold 70% of the range, which is 150 miles, um, for at least 10 years as part of the warranty. Um, and they have to have something akin to, like, you know, what places like Carfax do where you know what the repair record of the car is. Um, it's going to allow for about 20% of a car manufacturer's output to be plug-in hybrids. Mm. But for, the belief is that plug-in hybrids are probably not going to be all that attractive once there's this switchover to EVs. Now, sure, you know, people, people love EVs, but there are problems here. I mean, Well, not if you listen to right-wing talk radio. Well, people do the the demand worldwide. Right, EVs represent twenty percent of the car market right now. Mm -hmm. Okay, and only three percent in the United States, right? Because we're beholden to oil and gas. <laughs> um, so, you know, the problem is number one, EVs are still expensive, even with federal subsidies. They're still expensive. Um, you know, number two, and this is the big issue we've talked about it on the show before: rare earth minerals mm -hmm. are required. Yep. Lithium particularly is needed for these batteries. And, that's a, and um, who owns 90% of the production of lithium? China. China, yeah. right. And then they control some of the lithium production in Congo as well. Yeah, well, but they own, they, that, that's the point, is that they, right. they mill and, you know, produce 90% of the lithium that yeah. goes and into not all of it. Not all of it is, 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 quote, grown in China. That's correct. Right. That's correct. Yeah. You know, I mean, they may take it out on a ship and sink it in the Taiwan Straits just to, you know, say, <laughs> screw you to the United States. But, um, you know, that's a problem is we are beholden yeah. to China and, it, and it's going to take some time to develop a homegrown industry. And then, of course, you have the issues of do you really want to live near a rare earth mine? Yeah, nobody does. Nobody does. Maybe Elon Musk can find a planet that has a lithium <laughs> supply. And well, that, that, that has been suggested that these, these minerals may be very plentiful on the bottom of the ocean. That leads to a whole nother issue of whether deep sea mining yeah. is is the next step. But let's move on from that issue. Um, you know, the other issue is um, you need electricity. And sure. we have a antiquated grid. We have one gigantic state that doesn't have any access to any electricity it doesn't produce, and that's Texas, mm -hmm. because they're not part of the national grid. Yeah. Well, um, we saw what that, that was the kind of problems that that they had with the, with the, uh, exactly. the, the winter storm and the uh, exactly. So the question is, where's the electricity going to come from to charge all these cars? And that needs to be faced, um, and it may lead to some choices that you know people are going to not be thrilled with, like but, a transmission uh, line across their property. Well, that and, and just generation. <laughs> no, I, I understand yeah, that. Sure. Yeah, just what about generation? And also all the minerals. I mean, the minerals you talk about being needed for an, for an electric vehicle, 
Some of those are also needed for solar panels, for uh, wind turbines. Correct. Uh, right. For cell phones and computers. I mean, at some point, we're going to run out of this stuff. Right. And, and so I think sooner rather than later. So I do think that this needs to be part and parcel of what we're talking about. It's great to build a bunch of charging stations, but you need some way to produce electricity. Now, actually charging a car is not a bad task for a solar for solar panels. And you know, and right. I know people with solar panels who charge their right. their vehicles that and, way. And 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 there are batteries already on the market you can put in your garage. Mhm to, you know, facilitate that process. If so, you have a garage. If you have a garage, yes. Well, believe me, if you have a $70,000 car, you're probably going to have a garage. Um, so, <laughs> Well, uh, is that what EVs are costing? The average is $66,000. So right wait, now. now, okay, let me back up now. Okay, so all California will require everyone to buy a $66,000 car by 2030. No, there's no way that they're going to require you to buy a $66,000 car. Right, okay. Because their assumption is that the market... As it expands, particularly if battery prices can be driven down, how, yeah, and how can then you can make cars. You don't have to have a car that goes zero to sixty in four seconds, right? To, you but know, you've got to have lithium, apparently, and that's, you do have to have batteries. Okay. The batteries, so, you, and you need electricity. Those I mean, are the two I factors. Mean, don't get me wrong. I like what California is trying to do to get away from fossil fuel consumption, but I question how realistic it is. I, I you know, I, actually, most of the people who been speaking on this who are technical about it, not political about it, say it is actually very doable. There's already countries that are 100% EV. Norway, for instance, is 100% EV. The huge country of Norway? Doesn't matter. I mean, they're still able to do it. And it's also a country not known for being sunny a good part of the year. So they're able to do this. And Europe is is well in excess of 20, 25% EVs at this point. In fact, people who were commenting on this were pointing out that it's harder to find a gas station to fill a, a rental internal combustion car in, in places in Europe mm. than it is to find a charging station for your EV. I so guess that's progress. <laughs> yeah, so, so if Europe can do it, are we saying that the United States can't do what Europe does? I mean, are you not yeah. well, buying into American exceptionalism, Ed? I'm afraid not. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so... So it, it appears te- that technically it could be doable. In fact, you, you could argue that if the prices of EVs can be brought down, that it won't take till 2035. Because who's going to want to buy a car that you will not be able to find you know, repairs for? And sure. you, you know, gas stations are going to start to become less numerous. So sure, what, there's a whole generation of cars that's still going to be around. Yeah, and then you get the problem of dealing with all the underground storage tanks that are under those gas stations that are going to be leaking. So that'll be, well, they'll be so leaking whether you're driving EVs or not. I mean, I don't. Yeah, sure. It's already it's already a problem. But right. yeah. So um, what um, I think the bigger issue is where do we get the electricity from? Are we willing to really decentralize electricity production enough to allow and solar to do most of that job? You know, um, do we, you know, I hate to say it, but California's already facing that. They're not decommissioning the uh, nuclear plant because they're not ready to take it offline. You know, and so they're going to count. Blank, it's, it's some canyon. It's on right on the ocean. So they're counting on that right as now. being part of the, the energy mix that will continue to double fuel the, the growing generation of EVs. Well, some, it has to come from somewhere. Yeah. Okay, well, um, we had a good program here recently about uh, why nuclear power should not be a part of the... Uh, uh, the and what, what, the what did you all conclude on that? I'm well, sorry, you, I missed you that. Did, you didn't listen to the program? No, I missed okay. that one. Well, I'll have to go, we'll, we'll talk about it some other time. But anyway, the... Um, yeah, the... Uh, the how, okay, there's, there's got to be a huge amount of regulation involved in, in enforcing... I mean... What happens if uh, if a, a police officer sees somebody driving a non-EV car? And can you disguise a? Is there a way to no, disguise a non-EV car? No, they're not going to stop car? you from driving an, an internal combustion engine car into California. It's very easy to not be able to buy one at a dealership because that's very easy to check. People have to right. register the car. But you can go to Nevada, buy one there, drive it back. Your 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 gas guzzling Hummer can. Have its way with Los Angeles traffic, and and you, that's that's fine. It's not a problem. Yeah, but here again, the point is, we already know that the large car companies, domestic car companies, uh, particularly Ford, is 
you know, making a huge investment, General Motors too, in making EVs affordable and more common. Mm. You know, and so in some sense, the market is already responding to this. Mm -hmm. And they're also selling cars. I mean, oddly, the, the company that's most antithetical, you know, feeling antithetical to this is Toyota. Why which is, that? is well, they're having problems getting a their EV off the ground, you know, and they, of course, have made a huge investment in hybrid. But um, they would only, and there are already some, plug-in hybrids because really most of your driving is within a range for most people of 50 to 60 miles. That easily can be taken care of yeah. by plugging the car in at night. Right. You just have to make a way that you can't override that by filling the car up and just letting the battery yeah. be run down. Yeah. So... Um, so here, one one question: do, do, do you see? Do you foresee that? Is it possible that if we have a Republican president again soon, and or a Republican, well, especially if we have both a Republican president and a Republican Congress, is it possible that they might preempt California's California's well, law? They tried to do that. They tried to do that the last time, and well, and, and try again, right? Well, but it actually it actually did. Um, go to court, and even mm. with the present, the presently constituted federal, federal judiciary, uh, the government lost. Yeah, and California was able to maintain. Well, that the was waiver. that was before the most recent appointment to the Supreme Court that made it even more corporate friendly. Well, but it didn't even go that far. I mean, they weren't even able to to apply the major questions doctrine because it's already in the law. Mm. I just, I just don't. Yeah, I, I don't think any, don't see California doing anything reasonably progressive is going to get pushback from a Republican. So if you're General Motors and you're reorienting your workforce yeah. to build EVs, why do you want to go backwards? Yeah. Okay. Well, good point. Hey, uh, Charles, thanks for joining me today, folks. I've been uh, here with uh, Charles Goldman. Uh, when we come back from a short break, Kathy Burns is going to join us, and we're going to talk about a Harvard Museum climate exhibition that's not so wicked smart. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham is adamantly and actively committed to supporting the mission of the Fallon Forum and community radio stations. Mark knows we must all live and work with the goal of building better health for both people and planet. And he works to implement that vision through his stewardship of Architecture by Synthesis. You can learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures, great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Remember, you can support this alternative to the shock jocks by becoming a monthly donor, or if you own a small business or run a nonprofit, you can become a sponsor of this program. And speaking of sponsors, thanks to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for creatures great and small for over 30 years. You can learn more on Facebook at the Story County Veterinary Clinic's page. Okay, so earlier this year, last year, whenever it was, Kathy and I were traveling in Massachusetts. We were in Cambridge, and we went to the went to Harvard University, mm -hmm. and we were very impressed to see a climate exhibit. Mm -hmm. Well, we we wanted to see it because we were impressed that they had it. Right, but at the end of it, we weren't that impressed. Yeah, <laughs> so, didn't didn't seem like it delivered. It wasn't wicked smart. It was not no. <laughs> exactly. So we'll take folks on a little tour of this as we experienced it. The website description of the exhibit. This is why we wanted to see it. It said, "Climate change draws on the latest scientific information about our warming climate, the global and local consequences." and how to both reduce the fossil fuel emissions that cause it and prepare for its effects. And we thought, hooray, someone's taking this very seriously. Right. However. However. 
When we entered the exhibit, the big poster that you see says, the world needs more energy. The International Energy Agency projects that total global demand for the molecules and electrons that power our world will rise by 23% by 2040. In the near term, fossil fuels will continue to account for a large percentage of the molecules uh -huh. that fuel tra transport course. and the electrons that provide electricity and heat. But taking a longer view, the direction of the energy transition is clear. As time goes on, carbon-free energy sources, chiefly electrons, but a rising proportion of molecules will account for a greater share of production. Besides the fact that they don't write very well to an audience that yeah, doesn't understand all that. I don't even know that. what electrons and molecules mm. are, have to do with this conversation. I, I, but, yeah. but yeah, it's just, it's the more and more and more. It, yeah. <laughs> bigger, bigger, bigger. You know? It just shows that they uh, don't really care about where we're headed. Talking and about we need more fuel. Where was the, where was the conversation about conservation? It, I, right. I, don't, I don't remember seeing that in there. Right. Right. It, it didn't, uh, didn't include about consuming less right. at all. Or, yeah, or just finding ways. I mean, there's so much waste. Well, we, we saw the rest of the exhibit, but we did notice that it was sponsored by, uh, with financial support from a Clark Bernard and Susanna Bernard, together with a few other people. And I got looking, and this Clark Bernard is a retired partner of PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP. They're the people that you usually hear about, or you used to hear about during the Academy Awards, the Oscars. Oh. And now, hand me the envelope from PricewaterhouseCoopers. Which, which I've has, never watched they, anyway. They would audit, Italian audit all the votes. And okay. one year they really messed it up by announcing the wrong winner. <laughs> so they are not, you don't hear about them anymore. Small offense, yes. But besides that, uh, they are also connected with um, with the fossil fuel industry. How so? An article on their website tells of how they helped the fossil fuel sector learn to reinvent itself in the face of growing climate challenges. So reinvent itself <laughs> meaning basically greenwash. Yeah, reading so through gonna, all of it is a lot. But they, they helped them learn how to greenwash. Yeah, yeah, what they said is you you have three choices if you're a fossil fuel industry. You can one focus squarely on developing fossil fuel-based resources. Two, diversify through strate strategic acquisitions or by embracing other energy capabilities. Or three, go all in on renewable energy resource development. So, Most of them are gone too, right? And nowhere in, yes, and nowhere right. in this whole uh, article that they, they have on their website showing how they help people is anything about... Um, fossil fuel countries or companies encouraging less consumption oh so yeah, yeah. or conservation as you said ed well, again, they, they, they don't kind. want to do that they, if, if people cut back on use mm -hmm. if businesses find ways of conserving they don't make as much money mm -hmm. i mean it gets that's that's what it boils down to we've seen this with our local power company here in iowa mm -hmm. you know they 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 don't really want to encourage conservation also, Maybe if they're forced, they might do a little bit of it. Well, in the in the Harvard exhibition that we were looking at, there was a section that talked about some of the challenges of um, you know changing your energy sources or finding you know creative solutions. And carbon capture was yeah. mentioned as a yeah, possible solution, right, and sure. that's a red flag. And I also noticed that there was there there the talk in this exhibit about farming was also a really agribusiness. It was mm -hmm. also not very encouraging at all. Not at all. Um, they talked about the growing population right. in the world and how there are many more people to feed and but, how but there a, has to be a lot more food but, grown but to like feed nine, all the people. Projecting 9 billion people by 2050? Yes. And and, at, what point do you stop? What, at what point do you stop accelerating and increasing population growth on a finite planet with limited resources? When do they want to have that conversation? The, a lot of that's what now. bothered us most about this exhibit. There were conversations that they were shying away from, and it just felt weird because they're supposed to be smart. You know, <laughs> they really Wicked are, smart. They are really supposed to be smart. There was an exhibit called Agricultural Improvements Support Population Growth. <laughs> I mean, as if we need to support growing the population and yeah. we really need to think about doing the opposite well, it's, it's just a, it's just a given in these conversations that earth population will continue to grow that defies what's happening in a lot of countries including the u.s mm -hmm. 
Uh, it defies what needs to happen in the again with the reality of limited space and limited resources. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, the actual problems of growing food in the new climate era are outlined. They include uh, shortages of water, disrupted growing seasons, poor pollination to disease. But although they accurately describe the issues, the potential solutions include ideas like uh, advancing breeding and biotechnology to increase plant resilience to drought. So yeah. genetically genetic modified organisms. Right. Organisms, yeah. New irrigation technologies and improved farming practices that help keep agricultural land cooler. They don't talk. I don't about, know what that means. They don't. They don't talk about planting. Um, you know, in ways that need less irrigation or mm. that you know plants organically or anything reduce and reduce water loss and maintain optimal root zone moisture i'm not sure i don't know what that means either yeah it yeah. just sounds very engineered <laughs> and very much like they're trying to get around the real issue yeah so i mean do we give them any props at all for even having an exhibit on climate change that misses so many key points well, I, I wouldn't. I, I don't know. It was hard. It was really hard to swallow. Yeah. We we had to go outside and sit in the fresh air <laughs> under some beautiful trees for a while and, yeah. and get it out of our system. Okay. We uh yeah we we recovered by sitting in a park. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks, uh, Kathy. Thanks to our production team of Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, Charles Goldman, Kathy, and myself, Ed Fallon. Thanks to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis. Vibes Kitchen and Bar, Western Optometry, Dr. David Drake Family Psychiatry, and Story County Veterinary Clinic. Thanks to our nonprofit partners as well, Birds and Bees Urban Farm and Bold Iowa. Again, you can support this program, and that matters a lot. You can go to the website, FallonForum.com, and learn more about what you can do to make a difference. Thanks again, and we will be back next week with another hour of cutting-edge talk radio.